Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Joined this time by Adam Jacoby, our fearless leader and publisher at GoIowaAwesome.com. Back and healthy. Adam, it's good to have you back, friend. It is. It's great to be back. Uh, I am absolutely going stir crazy here like yeah, July is not the month that you want to have cabin fever that indicates something has gone very very wrong but um yeah every every day happier healthier um more more bounce in my steps so uh yeah, very very happy for the care that I've gotten and uh, looking forward to ramping up here in August as the football season starts to get underway Yes, sir. And I've been completely healthy and I'm getting antsy, too, with football right around the corner, as is everyone else, all college football fans, high school football fans out there. Before we get started here on Hotcast uh, this Monday, make sure that you subscribe, follow, leave that rate and review wherever you are listening. If you want to drop a question to us, you can head over to our premium board at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. If you're a new subscriber, you can always leave a question for us. Leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Drop a question there and let us know what you got. Now, to start off today's pod. News from Sunday, Monte Potabom is retiring from the NFL after a short-lived uh, career, I guess, with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he was the only fullback on their roster, so a dying position, as, as Adam said before we started recording. Yeah, you know, um, fairly well. Hats off to Monte Potabom. I, You know, it, it, it's not as if there was... Uh, an expectation of a 12-year NFL career. Uh, like you said, the the position's dying. Even if you look at the Iowa um, roster itself, which has, uh, uh, in college football, everyone knows that it is sort of one of the last uh, holdouts for Fort Fullback. Uh, and, and even then, you know, it took an injury to Eli Miller, but you look at who's manning fullback right now, it's Hayden Large, and, and that's a guy who is essentially a converted tight end or uh, what the NFL would have called 25 years ago, the H-back, you know, that that Frank Wycheck position. So you're not, even at Iowa, even at Iowa, um, I, I think we're going to start to see that position be manned by more of these like 6'5", 250 guys uh, who also have tight end skills, you know, receiving skills, um, as opposed to these 6-0, just like put a laser sight on the linebacker and, uh, you know, knock his helmet off. You still want them to be able to do that. You still want them to be a glorified offensive lineman, but, um, <clears throat> the limitations of the traditional fullback, uh, are things that, you know, at this point in 2023, you just don't want to have on the field if you don't have to. So, um, yep. Let, so salute to Monty Padabam, salute to the fullback position as we know it. But I think those days are coming to an end and so be it. Good for Monty for giving it a shot, you know, Absolutely. even with being Absolutely. a traditional. And and so when with with a name like Monty Padabam and with a hairstyle like that, you got to give the NFL a shot at least once. That's right. <laughs> but but and not not to mention uh, Hayden Large. You mentioned well. You said he's a transfer. Not only is a transfer, but he's a transfer from Dort College, and he's a walk on. So and he's and he's in there playing playing fullback. So for for the offense. So that 
is is a little bit telling as well for for the emphasis and the importance of the position now. Um, I mean, with that said, he caught a touchdown pass in the spring game, um, and it was a it was a nice touchdown uh, catch too. So um, I, I expect to see him a little bit more. But even now, like in the NFL, who's the guy for the 49ers? Use check. Yeah, you know Kyle, uh, like juice check, use check. Yeah. So I, I don't know how soft the J is. Right. He's not even like a full, he's not a, he's not a traditional fullback at all either. He is that H back. Like you've mentioned, is he still with the 49ers? I don't even know. I believe so. Uh, okay. and, and, yeah. and if he's not, that tells you how much attention I pay to the NFL and the 49ers in particular. So sorry, Terry Brown, uh, and all you other 49ers fans out there. I'm, I'm barely hanging on with you guys. <laughs> Same. I like George Kittle. That's all I got. He's on the roster. Brock Purdy's on the roster. Christian McCaffrey, uh, Debo Samuel. I could actually go on, but anyway, um, that's the only reason I pay attention to the 49ers at all in the NFL for that matter. You know, Speaking of which, Adam, before we go into our next topic here, the amount of times I've been asked by somebody who's a sports fan, what's your take on XYZ with the NBA or the NFL? Like, I don't freaking know. I am so in deep with the Iowa Hawkeyes football and basketball rosters. I know nothing else like, in recruiting for that matter. Right. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm absolutely the same way. Uh, if, if it's not going to be on TV and – uh, like the, I'm a huge Cubs fan. Grew up here in Des Moines, going to Iowa Cubs games. I'm a, I'm a lifelong sufferer, and uh, I got to tell you, after they went to the Marquee Network, uh, and then the Marquee Network decided it was not going to be on Hulu, there's only so much attention I'm going to pay if it's not going to be on TV. Uh, and like you said, we are uh, more than neck deep in this roster. Uh, in this program, this uh, athletic department. So, you know, you look at pro sports these days and these rosters turn out like 80% of the roster turns over in like two or three years. It's, it's quicker than like the turnover in college at this point. So it's, it's so hard to maintain that level of familiarity with the pro guys. So uh, do I like watching the NBA? Sure. Um, will I watch pro football if it's on TV? Yeah. All right. Um, do I know anything about 90% of these teams in any of these pro leagues? No, not a chance. No. Yeah. And, and that's okay. That's like when I was playing fantasy football and baseball, sure. I could tell you who Cesar is tourist, like what team he was on and like what his batting average was. You know, you could you could pull up the Arizona Diamondbacks roster right now, Elliot, and and just like start naming players. I wouldn't be able to tell you if they're a position player or a pitcher or if you're just making the name up. Oh, yeah. You know, like <laughs> Jorge Ramos Jr. Have you seen it the way this guy's been hitting? Uh, OK, <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um Speaking of which, last week we got a question from Waterloo Chaz asking what our favorite uh, professional sports teams are. So you're a Cubs guy. Do you have a favorite NBA or NFL team? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age where you sort of had to pick sides between the Lakers and Celtics growing up. You know, Showtime versus Larry Bird. I I was always a Lakers guy, still a Lakers guy. Um, it's, I, 
I wasn't a Kobe guy, and and you would think that I would be given the last two syllables of my last name, but um, it's but now that LeBron's there, I'm Lakers fan again. But but even then, like you know, half these pro athletes are half my age, right? I'm not letting someone who's even younger than you ruin my weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no offense, but like, and, right. and it, it goes double for like college athletes too. Like, I don't, I don't care about the outcomes of any like sports game I watch at this point. I've already gotten to see the Cubs win the World Series. I've already gotten to see the Lakers win how many championships? Um, like, I've I've gotten to see some cool, cool games at, at Kinect too, like. I've got so many boxes checked for me that am, am I investing any emotional like goodwill into whether or not a sports game is a win or a loss? No, no, God, no. I, I just want it to be interesting. I just want us to have cool stuff to talk about if it's a game we're covering. Otherwise, like I just want both teams to have fun out there. I really do. Like it, it doesn't get more complicated <laughs> than that. One thing that I referenced last week in that quick to that question is the, the my fandom for the Pelicans and the Chargers, which is just the strangest combination. But if I during the regular season and into the playoffs, like I don't I don't have any expectations. But if things get crazy, oh I will go because I've only been able to see one of my teams in my lifetime win a championship, and that was the Philadelphia Phillies in two thousand eight. And I don't like, I don't, I, I know Bryce Harper, Harper's on the Phillies now, but that's all the further I go. Anyway, uh, so this is a Iowa Hawkeye podcast. So let's get back to talking about right. that. <laughs> now that um, everybody has turned it off now. <laughs> right, 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 right. So we're coming off Big Ten Media Days. Um, and as I was talking with, with Adam before we started recording, we're, we're going to hit a couple things, a, a couple of the articles that, that I wrote. We'll go a little bit more in depth, but I just wanted to share that. Uh, this is my first Big Ten Media Days, and I had a freaking blast. One of the coolest experiences of my life being on Lucas Oil, uh, or the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. Got to meet guys like Joel Klatt, and um, and it was it was just incredible. Call, uh, FaceTime two of my friends who are Colts fans, and they were so jealous. It was awesome. But uh, with with all of that said, to get into the thick of it all um, regarding Iowa and Big Ten Media Days, we mostly got to speak with Kirk. We got time with Jay Higgins, Cooper DeGene, and Luke Lachey, of course. This is my first time talking with Luke Lachey. Um, great dude. He was he was great to talk with. And Jay, I've, I've talked with quite a bit. Cooper, obviously, all the expectations are, are getting piled on him now. And I hit that on a, on a free article on, on iowa.rivals.com. But with all of that said, there were three main things that were – my big takeaways, I've yet to write an article on, on Eric Hall and Luke Lachey, but the top one for me was the talk of the offensive line. Now, I don't know how much you, you looked into that, Adam, or, or if you were able to read my article on it, but this has been a big topic of conversation in the offseason already. Kirk essentially went through all the guys who are back, minus Nick DeYoung, though he touched on him on it on it briefly and referenced all the reasons why he thinks this offensive line this season is going to be drastically improved. And the fact that they are virtually all coming back with a decent amount of experience, save Jennings Dunker, but 
Kirk's a believer in the offensive line this year. It's like it, everything got flipped on its head. Talked of personnel and the issues all of last or regular season and now into the offseason. And I think we're still waiting to see that product ourselves. But Kirk believes, clearly. Adam, I, I don't know if, if you had any takeaways in particular on that. But that's the first thing that I, that I look at overall, holistically, when I look at this article that I wrote, when I look at all the quotes from Kirk this weekend, it's that he's a believer in the offensive line this time around in 2023 for Iowa. Yeah, I, I noticed the same thing too. And, and really it's something that we had to see coming out of uh, the, the camp and, and coming out of the staff uh, because it's been two straight years of the offensive line really, really underperforming. And uh, last year in particular, they were not in position to succeed. Uh, they didn't have the depth for it. They didn't have the personnel under center to, you know, cover for their issues. And they didn't have the health for it, too. Like, not not only did they not have the depth built in going in, but they, they also couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay in. Like, the, there was no five-man orientation that was going to work, and they just didn't, like, happen upon it. There, there was no avenue to success the year prior. And that can happen one year. That can even happen two years if some structural things go wrong as they did here. All of those excuses can't carry over to a third season, especially when we're talking about a program like Iowa's. We're talking about a, a head coach like Kirk Ferentz who has built his name on the offensive line for as long as he's been in college football, which is uh, more than a year or two at this point. Um, if you want to be the developmental league, one, or if you want to be the developmental program in a developmental conference, one, the most developmental position in college football is the offensive line. You don't have to recruit five-star offensive linemen to get five-star offensive line play. You kind of do with wide receivers. You kind of do with quarterbacks. You kind of even have to do that with defensive linemen, defensive tackles in particular. Uh, I think it was Mike Leach who said, you can spot. <laughs> like, the, finding a defensive tackle, someone who can like play at an SEC slash NFL level, those like six, five, 300, you know, three ten guys. He said, those are the sorts of guys that you can just like spot in a mall from <laughs> like the, the mall equivalent of a block away linemen. You can develop into that and you can do it from other positions too. Um, so we have to start seeing that now, especially now that we are seeing names like Mason Richmond on the death chart again, uh, Connor Colby again, Bo Stevens again. Um, one thing that I was sort of interested in is the fact that um, Rusty Feth, Dejan Parker are on the two deeps already, but as backups. Now, that's a July death chart. Did Kirk Ferentz bring them in to still be backups? Uh, is this Jennings Dunker, um, Mr. Uh, Beef Days himself, is this him sort of taking that next step in terms of like grabbing an opportunity that's available now that he's 
listed as the starting right tackle. He seems like that kind of guy. You know, you, you hear about um, the way certain guys conduct themselves, you know, carry themselves in the program and, you know, some rise to occasions better than others. And, and Dunker very much, very much seems like a, if I'm, if you give me a taste of this, you're not going to get it back from me kind of guy. Um, very, very committed driven. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that translates into the um, discussion at right tackle as camp progresses. I think that's going to be a very, very competitive situation. And it wouldn't surprise me if the top five ends up with both um, uh, Dunker and Deshaun Parker starting. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be shaken out. Uh, at, a, at a minimum, I was going to be able to put five guys on the field that belong on the field this year. And that was not the case the last two years. The fact that Iowa even got like bowl eligibility out of the last two seasons with the state of that offensive line is honestly kind of amazing. Now it's on the coaches that the offensive line was in that state too. Like it's, it, it sort of goes both ways. Um, and, and no one's getting the pass here and, and no one's asking for a pass on that either. Kirk Ferentz will be the first one to tell you that the line was subpar as, especially as Iowa standards go. This the fact that you mentioned that Kirk Ferentz is now quietly optimistic about the state of that line. You would hear about that sort of thing in like 2001 when that really started to turn over, turn over, turn around. Uh, you would hear about it in 2008 into 2009 because, oh boy, if you remember that line in 2007, um, the one that basically short-circuited Jake Christensen as a quarterback because he would get like three steps back and, um, oh, he was a center. Raphael Eubanks would just be like being thrown into his face. Like there was no way to, to like generate any sort of timing with his receivers and the receivers were young enough. He had no idea if they were going to be where they were supposed to be when he threw the ball anyway. Like Jake Christensen got his career basically derailed by a bad offensive line. And so when Iowa was like, yeah, actually, I think this line's actually going to be pretty good in 08 going into 09, it was okay to be a little bit skeptical about that. Uh, but then those lines, like Raphael Eubanks turned into a heck of a player. Uh, Julian Vandervelde turned into a heck of a player. Uh, we don't have to really go through all those seniors from the 02 and 03 classes, but like they turned out to be pretty good too. So if the optimism surrounding this line is similar to the optimism that surrounded some of those other developmental lines in the past, if we're starting to see that again, all of a sudden, Brian Ferentz is going to look a whole lot smarter just by the fact that there's not going to be a free rusher crawling down the quarterback's jersey on 30% of the um, snaps that they take to begin with. Um Cade McNamara is going to be up. I was going to say, it'll make Cade McNamara look even better compared to Spencer Petrich. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, oh, you know, God bless Spencer Petrich, but he's going to be standing there as like, he's not playing this year and, and he's just going to be there with like one good arm and like watching McNamara drop back and like stay drop back. He's going to be like, where the heck was this? (laughs) Yep. This looks a whole lot easier. (laughs) Uh, 
And, and Petrus was like, from a mo- mobility standpoint, was never the guy to like deal with so many blown assignments in front of him. Like that, was, nothing about that was designed to succeed. I think there's less of those like existential structural problems with the offense this year, just by the offensive line being competent again, as long as they are. But like, we have reason to expect that they are. The, the way that the players talk about um, George Barnett, the offensive line coach, the way that recruits talk about George Barnett, you know, recruits not love George Barnett. Love him. Oh, yeah. Which, which I wasn't expecting. And, you know, you go back even 12 months after two years in a row of really subpar offensive line play. And again, like some of that was structural, but also I was sort of thinking, you know, maybe this is how we figure out that George Barnett wasn't the right fit at Iowa. Like, like maybe something isn't translating because that happens sometimes. Um, But we never got any of that pressure on Barnett from the coaching staff itself. And the way that everybody is talking about him as a part of the staff, as somebody who communicates with players in the most glowing terms, like by, January or February, I'm like, oh, this guy's seat is as like cold as Kirk's itself. Like he's not going anywhere. Uh, so I, I think that's a good sign. I think that is uh, it. Well, I, I hope it's promising. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. This goes back for Coach Barnett, too. I mean, a large yeah. reason why, why Will Nolan ended up committing to Iowa, who is going to come in and, and be a tackle for the offensive line. He's a three-star from Illinois. I can't remember where exactly in Illinois, but it's the suburb of Chicago. His offensive line coach at his high school, Hearsy, Illinois, I think, now that I think about it, but that might not be right. Anyway, his offensive line coach at his high school played for Barnett at Illinois State when there was sort of a revolving door of offensive line coaches in, I think, the late 2000s, like 2006, 2007-ish. And even with just, I think, a year and a half under Barnett, Will Nolan's offensive line coach is like, you should go play for that guy. Yeah. You yeah. should go play for that guy. And that this is at Illinois State with lesser resources at the FCS level, and he's still able to bring the best out of guys on the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because again, like offensive line is a developmental position. You, you can develop guys at Illinois State. You, you don't need, like, advanced – super plyometrics or this or that, you know, at the end of the day, it's like pick up heavy stuff, work on your footwork and just keep doing that for months. It's that's reductive, you know, it's, right. <laughs> it's more simple than it is easy, but um, yeah, that is, I, I, I think offensive line there's, well, there's nowhere to hide on the offensive line as a player. And there's sort of nowhere to hide as an offensive line coach. You know, you're either teaching these guys how to do their job or you're not. And uh, it's it's very evident when you're not. So um, I, I think it's going to be make or break in a lot of ways for the offensive line, for um, Coach Barnett, um, for even like Kirk Ferentz. Like there there is a little bit of like legacy on the line here. And if if we're going to talk about Kirk Ferentz as the offensive line whisperer that he's had this reputation for decades on, and it's an earned reputation, but you know we also sort of need to actually see this line succeed before he gets any credit for it. 
Because if it doesn't, that's three straight years, which in college football is an eternity of bad line play, especially in the Big Ten. So time's ticking, like <laughs> one way yep. or another, we're, we're about to see it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I, I think you put it well, especially with a reputation as being a development coach because you have the guys and three years is, is more than enough time to develop. Now, I want to go back to something you said, Adam. I just have a question on it. You said you could see Dejon Parker and Jennings Dunker on the offensive line as starters this season together. So would you see Dunker at right guard? What what are you, or maybe opposite what do you, what do you see there in, in terms of the lineup because if if I can if I can speak to it I the way I see it it's Richmond left tackle Colby at left guard Jones at center Rusty Feth at right guard or uh, yes right guard and then either Dejan Parker or Jennings Dunker at right tackle if if I were to project based on what I've heard what I know we're still waiting on Dejan Parker to get more reps Rusty Feth brought in with just one more year, but I like Rusty a lot. That dude is a Hawkeye through and through, even though he just got to campus. But the way I see it is Feth at right guard and either Parker or Jennings Dunker at right tackle. What do you see there? Do you, do you see some more versatility than I do? Yeah, you know, on the uh, on the Iowa offensive line in particular, there's um, usually a pretty decent amount of um, – oh, it, it used to be more pronounced back when you could just say like everybody plays guard at some point. It's not quite the case that everybody plays guard anymore, but there is a little bit of um, mixing those two positions still the way that um, Kirk Ferentz puts his five together. So like we've seen uh, both Stevens play both guard and tackle. We've seen Connor Colby play both guard and tackle. Logan Jones is pretty well entrenched at center at this point, but um, like you could, absolutely convince me that um and and i think parker's just going to be a tackle at iowa i think feth is just going to be a guard at iowa uh i could see the um jennings dunker moving to guard especially if there is um some ongoing like health um things not resolving you know injuries uh that just those occur over the course, especially over the course of a uh, season on the offensive line, like injuries are just going to happen. You, you're, you're, I think if you look back, there's like one or two seasons at Iowa where the top five up front just stayed the same all year. It's part of life. So um, I, I, I think Stevens can give you both positions. Colby can give you both positions. Dunker, I think, can give you both positions. So the young can. Coach, yeah. Coach Barron spoke to that at, at Big Ten Media Days, too. Yeah, exactly. So what that five ends up being, um, you know, I think it's just going to take a lot of practices to find out. I think you're, that we are going to see guys move from guard to tackle and vice versa. From where they are on the depth chart right now, I think we're going to see a little bit of movement over the next. Uh, wow, it's already just like four weeks at this point, um, four or five weeks. Then, I, I, I'm curious to see how this ends up. I do think Mason Richmond's going to be one of the five. I think Logan Jones just basically has center more or less wrapped up as long as he's healthy. Uh, I think DeYoung is a guy that they they feel all right sliding in there if they have to, but I don't think they want to. Um, other than that, 
I think there's a few different ways to configure that five uh, that gets the coaches to a point that they are going to be, uh, they're going to be confident sending those guys out. We'll see what it is. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I don't think that they brought in Feth and Parker to be backups. But this might also be sort of an iron sharpening iron situation for a guy like Jennings Dunker, who, again, is one of those like, you give him a taste, you're, you might not see that roster spot back again. I, the way I see it and, and what you're what you're saying here, I'm just going to frame it a little differently. If if Jennings Dunker is too good. Yeah. Like you just you can't you can't default to Dejon Parker just because you brought him in for a year. You Correct. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So then, and that's, that's the way I, I see it. And if, if Dejon Parker has just a bit of an edge, you probably do lean to Parker because he, he does have that one year, but I mean, I, I, I think they're in a really good spot. And I think the way coach Ferentz put it, I think he said they have like six to eight guys who are going to compete for spots, something like that, or seven or eight guys that are going to compete for spots. And when you look at a guy like Nick DeYoung, that's a guy who's, depending on if and when an injury comes, you can slide him into that guard position or that tackle position because of the versatility that he, that he has. And then of course there's Tyler Ellsbury who will lack who will back up Logan Jones. But I think the young is kind of your quasi sixth man, if you will, with the starting five. Um, and he's a guy that if God forbid, you know, Dunker and, uh, Parker go down, then he's your right tackle. But if you're looking for a backup left tackle or right tackle, he can slide in and do both. Yeah. And, and ultimately like that's the sort of guy that this team really did not have last season or, you know, like Bo Stevens, bless his heart, sort of tried to step into that role last season and he, he was not super qualified for it. Um, it's, you know, he wasn't in position to succeed at that point. Um, most of those guys uh, on a fully healthy offensive line would have been second or third stringers. Uh, it just, th- there was really no alternative at that point. Um, and so you just sort of hang on for dear life. And, and you know, that that's not really going to be satisfying for fans to hear. Uh, it really sucks when um, you're the quarterback and these are the guys blocking for you, <laughs> you know, or you're the... Um, the running back, like, you know, they're trying their best. Uh, and it, there's, you know, no, no reason to hold it against anybody that was out there last season. You know, I don't think anybody's a bum because they played bad last season. I think they were just not in position to succeed. I think you are going to see five guys at the very least. Like if they're not performing out there this season, somebody's going to step in who can probably do better. And there, there was no, there was no backup plan like that last season. Yeah. I think this season is uh, 2023 is going to be telling as well because they have those six to eight guys who will be competing for starting spots. If you end up in a situation and, and I mean, not only that, but, but two guys they brought in as transfers who Rusty Feth is a plug and play at just about at a lot of FBS uh, well, not just FBS, but Power Five programs right now, the way I see it. Um, and, and you could probably say the same thing about Dejon Parker. If 
and not to mention Logan Jones and some of these guys are just physical freaks, right? And and the fact that Logan Jones flipped to that side of the ball and figured it out fairly quickly. I mean, he wasn't the greatest center in the world, but he he should take it to the next level this year. If things don't pan out the way you want them to on the offensive line, this will be a year where it's telling of how good of a coach George Barnett is. Because if it doesn't come to fruition this season, his seat will get progressively hotter and hotter throughout the season. I think it will. I think we'll really get an idea of how good of a coach he is this offseason. And and to reiterate, everything I've heard from offensive line uh, recruits, they love him. Players love him. Um, I, when I spoke with Logan Jones a couple weeks ago at a, at a media availability, he was like, anybody who thinks that George Barnett is good, not good at his job doesn't know what they're talking about. We are 100% behind our coach. So I, 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 Logan looked me in the eye when he said that he was, he was, he's a full believer in, in Barnett, but to move a little bit more uh, forward here on, on big 10 media days, we were talking a little bit about the depth chart, you know, overall, I have it in front of me. The first reaction of mine was probably similar to a lot of fans, which was a little surprise. Like where's Caleb Brown? What's going on here? Why is Nick Jackson listed as the second Mike linebacker? Um, and as it is a lot of years, this is something you take with a big old grain of salt and say, oh, yeah, it's July. Camp hasn't started. I, I it's and I wrote about it. If you want to check it out, it's on iowa.rivals.com. It's just really not something to get up in arms about. I, I fully expect Caleb Brown to get a bunch of time this year. I fully expect Seth Anderson to get a bunch of time this year. The starters will not on the offensive line will likely not look like they do on the depth chart right now. Uh, other than that, I mean, you're, you're still going to see a lot of Nico Ragini and Deontay Vines. And then on, on the defensive side of the ball, I, I will probably still see Kyler Fisher a little bit, but don't expect Nick Jackson to uh, not – not play this year, that's for sure. Additionally, on the uh, media guide, Nick Sh- or no Nick Shannon, Noah Shannon was right dead center on the front, and Noah Shannon is also listed on the depth chart um, as the first string one one tech tackle, so uh, defensive tackle. So I don't I don't know if you read too much into that. I I think we're still just based on what I what I heard from from Coach Ferentz and Big Ten Media Days is everything still up in the air, but. It doesn't hurt to see him there, as opposed to have him taken off. Like there, uh, we've we've seen very little from a certain couple players at Iowa State. Yeah, <laughs> or the other school, as Coach Ferentz would call them. Right, right. Yeah, uh, boy, there aren't a whole lot of coaches that you want to put too much stock into a like pre-camp July depth chart. You especially don't want to do with Kirk Ferentz because that's just his way of saying that we have not you know, been able to properly assess uh, Caleb Brown as a starting wide receiver yet. Uh, We, you know, haven't really been able to, um, you know, assess Nick Jackson yet. Uh, If the depth chart keeps looking like if the depth chart looks like this one week before the season starts, one, I will eat my bad knees club Uh, (laughs) t-shirt or, 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 or it means too that, that Ference is just like openly not putting updates on the depth chart. Like he's like, this is just straight up misinformation at that point. Uh, so I, I don't think uh, it, I, 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 this is not even all that um, controversial of a prediction here, but when the starters are announced week one, 
when when we're actually all there at Kinnick Stadium. This is not the starting eleven that will be announced, and and it won't surprise me if there are like more than two differences in terms of eleven top to bottom just on offense alone. Defense, I I don't know if there's going to be that much of a shakeup. Uh, Nick Jackson, obviously, I, I think we're going to see him work his way into the starting eleven. Uh, we also kind of know at this point that whether or not somebody starts on the defensive line is not really indicative of their position in the rotation. I mean, Lucas Van Ness just got picked in the first half of the first round without starting a single game at Iowa. Uh, you know, some of that seniority, some of that is just like who we want out there uh, at the beginning and whose legs we want fresh at the end. So I'm, I'm not going to put a whole lot of um, stock into whether or not somebody's listed as a starter or a backup. I think that's just, especially on defensive line more than any other position, that is just a like count the um, count the snaps situation. Um, secondary looks, I, I think, looks pretty close to what we're going to get by week one. Linebackers, we've been over. Defensive line, we've been over. Uh, I think offense, especially offensive line, especially receiver, we are going to see some movement and some development of what these roles ought to be. And and we'll know by late August who's ready to um, contribute on week one. I think the biggest difference we see defensively, other than Nick Jackson at the will, is dependent on Noah Shannon and his eligibility. Because based on what we have here and based on what I think is a fair assumption, I would imagine Aaron Graves steps into that one-tech role. Other than that, it'd probably be YA Black. But um, and, and then I guess you'd probably just see a little bit more of Ontario Thompson than we expected to in these first few games. Um, that transfer defensive tackle from Iowa Western, which is not a bad thing. I mean, he's brought in on scholarship for a reason, you know, um, and he's very talented. And, you know, Iowa is fortunate to be in a position where the defensive line is this deep because not a whole lot of other teams in the FBS have this level of depth on the defensive line. So if you're going to have anybody missing because of an investigation, it's probably not that you want that, but that's probably best case scenario is, is to be missing Noah Shannon right there. Um, and, and so that's, that's basically the, the biggest takeaway on the depth chart. And speaking of which on the sports, the whole sports gambling thing, one thing that we did learn this weekend is that it's not just Noah Shannon. There are several, I think it's a few, well, several is probably too strong of a word, a few guys that are also being investigated. We don't know who, we don't know what position, we don't know if they're starters, but there are a few other guys. So that is something to keep an eye on. Um, and it's not even like you can speculate who it is because that's just, we just know that there are a few other guys, which is frustrating, but fair. You know, <laughs> I, I don't blame blame Kirk for, for putting it that way. Yeah, I, I uh, appreciated his comments about sort of, the, the world changing around gambling to begin with and, and how that really needs to be reflected in the way that this stuff is punished. Because when they came up with rules, like if you're involved in it in any way, you know, out you go, I kind of get where it was coming from because at that point, like you were not, it, 
if you had anything to do with gambling in the state of Iowa in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, you were already in too deep to begin with. Like, that's that's information that you didn't need to be participating in, point blank. Um, now that the stuff is legal in the state of Iowa um, to the point where all you have to do is like open up the app and all it has to do is see the fact that you're in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, and you, you hear about it every five seconds while watching sports or while listening every, to a sports podcast or if, uh, from ESPN on down, like, like there's no sports outlet that has decided it's too good for gambling money. Like they've all embraced it, not only as a revenue stream, but as a like content topic. Right. And so can't lose parlay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was easy to communicate and justify things like permanent ineligibility for having any contact with a gambling person when all this stuff was illegal in the state. And, and like, it was the electrified third rail on TV. That's not the case anymore. And everyone, you know, it's, we can talk about how, prolific the gambling stuff is i uh full disclosure i don't gamble i i don't well i pay attention to lines i don't put any money on it and i i don't have any desire to get involved in that aspect of it i one because i i think that i don't i don't want to say the games are fixed but i think there are some instances where athletes are more sensitive than others uh in terms of whether or not they want to try to cover um, and at that point, um, well, there was, there was a game, let a little bit of an, an aside here, but there was a game a couple of years ago, Luca Garza was still on the team. <clears throat> and so I think it was the first like post COVID season and Iowa was playing some rinky dink, like macrofice, like bottom 300 Ken Palm team. And winning easily. And then this team, and, and so like the, the line ended up being like, let, let's say it's 29.5. I was up by like 40 with five minutes to go. And this team, let, let's call them Northeast Louisiana State. Neela State starts like hitting a few shots in the last like minute or two. And they end up being down by like 32 points. Iowa misses a free throw or something like that. Some guy hits it from a step inside half court as the buzzer sounds. Northeast Louisiana State ends up like covering by like one point or two points or something like that on this improbable shot. I bring it up for this reason. It made SVP's bad beats, which is hilarious to begin with. But on that, and which I didn't catch live, you in that highlight package on Bad Beats, you could see Luca Garza and I want to say Connor McCaffrey, but like another teammate. As soon as that shot got hit, they like look at each other and you could tell that they knew that the other team had just covered. So th- these these athletes do know at times what the line is whether or not they're competing 
to like cover or not cover, I think you you don't really always know that ahead of time. But I I think it does happen sometimes. I I think there are some teams that are more interested in covering than other teams, and like I don't want to get my money involved in that. I <laughs> that is. It's an uneven dynamic at that point. Um, and, and I don't think that anybody is smarter than Las Vegas in terms of like being able to identify who's going to try to cover and who's not going to try to cover. So I, it does not seem like a winning proposition to me. Ha <laughs> gambling reference. Um, like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to put my money at stake in, in a dynamic like that where, where it, you're really just not even sure what you're going to get out of either team. Um, But that all said, um, it's part of the sports landscape now and treating these guys. If if I want to bet on the, like the Tennessee Titans, because my, my teammate just got drafted by them last year should not be permanent eligibility. Just, (laughs) It, it seems very much like like something that made a whole lot of sense 20 years ago does not make sense now. If you're betting on tennis or golf, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? I think you should be unable to bet on either your conference or your sport, maybe just full bore sport. But if you cross those sports lines, you can't bet on your school as well. Um, which one thing that Kirk did reference is he doesn't think he's not, you know, a hundred percent sure, but he doesn't think any of his players bet on Iowa period. He says he feels like he would have been told that by now. Um, but uh, because he isn't fully invent, like he, he doesn't know everything he knows of it, but he doesn't know every single minute detail. Uh, that's, he said that's left up to the law firm and to the NCAA, but um one thing he's pretty sure of is that none of his players bet on Iowa, which is a good start. It's a good sign um, to say that any of these guys are for sure going to forfeit their eligibility. Who knows? Um, at one point, one of the guys asked about a timeline and Kirk, yeah, Kirk said something to the effect of, well, preferably sooner in August than later in August. And I was like, and I, <laughs> I jumped in and I said, but August and Kirk just doesn't, he just doesn't know. Uh, it's, it's, so so much of it's up in the air, and um, I, I suppose game one we'll we'll find out who who's involved if they're starters if it's if it's not all squared away, and uh, maybe they'll get ahead of it and, and let folks know like they did with Noah Shannon. Yeah, maybe maybe. Uh, I but I understand Kirk's frustration on this. It is uh, not to do a Kirk Ferentz impression here, but it reminds me a whole lot of a situation from over a decade ago. But no, it, it reminds me a whole lot of the um, Drew Ott situation when, when they were waiting essentially too long. Um, they, they had to wait until after it would have been easy to account for the situation or not, but they were trying to figure out whether or not he would have the sixth and uh, season of eligibility. Um, you know, we are at the point where we're we're counting weeks on one hand before the season starts. Absolutely, they want this thing wrapped up as quick as possible, and and really, they they wanted it wrapped up months ago. Because what is the information that still needs to be assessed that hasn't been assessed yet? What has changed? What is going to change over the next 
couple weeks that didn't have the opportunity to change or like be accounted for already. Like, I'm sure Kirk Ferentz wants to know that. I think the players want to know that. Everybody wants to know that. Like, it is, it's about to be August, you know. Let's wrap or, this up. Yeah. Yeah. Or get off the latrine. Um, yes, exactly. So, I, yeah, I'm 100% there with you, and I can't imagine Kirk is, is feeling any different. So uh, with with all that said, more recent news on the recruiting trail coming out yesterday. I was told by Jaden McGregory, previously of Des Moines North, he is going to be transferring and playing the remainder, as far as I know, the remainder of his high school career at West Des Moines Valley. This is, I just got off the phone with him a little while ago. Article probably should be coming out either Monday or, or late Sunday. And uh, he's one of the, for those of you who don't know, he's one of the top athletes in the state class of 2026. He is an incredible basketball player and football player. Des Moines North got put into a really tough situation last year off, or, yeah, offensively on foot, in football. And their starting quarterback went down super early in the season. He's a senior and then they throw in Jaden McGregory, who's a freshman because he's the best athlete on the football team at quarterback in 5A football. Now, big reason why he made the decision is because Des Moines North is moving down to class 4A and he wants to be against the top athletes in the state in 5A. Not to mention West Des Moines Valley. They are coming off a state runner-up finish in football and a state championship in basketball and their four best players on their basketball squad are all coming back. Now you add McGregory to the to the basketball squad. And West Des Moines Valley also lost their starting quarterback after that championship run last season and placing second in 5A to a loaded Southeast Polk team. So McGregory's hoping to step in and, and play quarterback this year, throw the ball to, to Zay. And if that doesn't work out, he'll probably play wide receiver. He's, a, he's one of your best 11 athletes, so he's going to find the field one way or another, he's going to end up on the field. Yeah, and exactly. Go ahead. He's being recruited as defensive back. So he's got two scholarship offers as a rising sophomore. So he hasn't even started his sophomore football season. He's got two scholarship offers already. One from Minnesota, one from Iowa state, Iowa on, on uh, his radar, as well as Nebraska, a few other schools that have started to show up, but he announced that he's going to be flipping to West Des Moines Valley, which is all the more reason to go watch Valley this fall. If you live in the Metro or if Valley's coming to your school, you got to go watch this football team. With Zay Robinson, who's probably going to be a four-star by the, by the end of his football season, we do some updates, however, that goes on Rivals.com. Jane McGregory, who's going to be a three-star once we rank the, the 2026 class, at least the way I see it. This team is going to be loaded on the basketball court and on the football field basketball court they're going to be the overwhelming favorites to win the state title because guess what there's no price sanford there's no um omaha baloo this time around uh, I, I believe um cedar rapids kennedy who was number one the whole year lost some of their production so as somebody who covers recruiting he he shot me a message after i put a put a tweet out and he let me know that he's that he's making the move and this is this is a uh, it's a big splash, and I I if I were to project simply based on experience and the type of athlete he is, he ends up playing quarterback at Valley and throwing passes to to Zay. 
And here's the thing, because they all grew up in the Metro, he's already got a little bit of chemistry with these other studs from Valley. They've played, they've played together prior on AAU teams and stuff like that. And like I said, Valley's bringing back Zay on, um, this is on basketball court, Zay, Trevin Yurick, Curtis Stinson Jr., who's a four-star, and Kiki Dang, who is already getting interest from Iowa, Trevin Yurick getting interest from Iowa, Zay Robinson getting interest from Minnesota in basketball on top of the offers he already has for football. So Valley, going to be nasty. You live in Des Moines, Adam. If you don't go see this team, you should. I'm going to as a recruiting analyst, but but I, I could not be more excited to see what they do. Yeah, this is uh, it's it's a little bit of a, a of a trend. Uh, if you remember the 2023 recruiting class, uh, Jamison Patton was uh, a quarterback at Des Moines Roosevelt. Shout out to the writers uh, and transferred to Ankeny uh, one because the facilities at Ankeny are better than they are at Roosevelt, or and better than they're going to be at a Des Moines proper. Um, at, at any of those five Des Moines schools. It just is what it is. Um, not super thrilled about that fact, but, um, you know. Shout Pat- out to property taxes. <laughs> uh, and, and this has turned into a local ordinance uh, podcast. <laughs> but but Patton was also happy to transfer to Ankeny because he could play uh, safety there. Like they, they didn't need him at QB the way that Roosevelt did. And he knew that he was going to be playing safety at the next level. So it made that sense for him. Uh, I think it's it stinks for North, obviously. And, um, you know, Des Moines North is, is sort of a school that you don't really like to see bad things happen to their athletic program because they, it's, it does not have a whole lot of the advantages that a whole lot of other schools in the state have. So that all said he's going to be incredible to watch. Like you said, Valley's going to be incredible to watch. Um, I am, I'm, I'm going to try to see him a few times. Uh, it's one of the nice things about living in Des Moines, especially these days. And I wish this was the case when I was still in high school, uh, but Roosevelt plays at um, Drake stadium. And that means Friday nights, you get to watch a little high school football at Drake stadium. And that is, um, especially if you grew up in this town, um, something close to, uh, a, a cathedral of local sport. So, um, hopefully get an opportunity to, to see some great talent there this year. I, I haven't done too much of a deep dive into who's going to be there and when, uh, but if there's going to be writers versus tigers, Roosevelt versus Valley, especially if it's going to be at Drake stadium, um, I will be there. We'll put it that way. Well, week one, it's a rematch of the 5A state championship game. I believe it's at Valley. And it's so it's Southeast Polk at Valley on the 25th. That one's going to be fun. Um, a couple other games that I have written down here, Fort Dodge at Webster City. That's for Sean Ross, who is another freshman that will be, well, rising sophomore that will be among the top recruits in the country in football and basketball, or sorry, in football and wrestling. And then Pleasant Valley plays at Bettendorf if you're an Iowa fan in the Quad Cities and you want to go watch uh, Joey Van Wetzinger tear it up there. And then on the 26th, Dowling plays at Kennedy. So I'll definitely be at that one to watch uh, Nick Brooks and uh, the uh, 
and, and Cedar Rapids take on Dowling. That one's going to be fun. I'm going to be watching a whole lot of Nick Brooks this fall in Cedar Rapids. And so if you're really itching for football, that's the time to, to go see some either definite future Hawkeyes or potential future Hawkeyes that weekend. And and then on the 1st, September 1st, Dowling plays Valley then to, I believe, Waukee plays Valley fairly early in the season as well. So lots of opportunities to see some of the best athletes in the state. And if you end up looking up McGregory, which again, I'll have an article here soon, the stats won't blow you away. But we have to remember he was a freshman in high school last season. And he's still figuring out the defensive back position where he's primarily being recruited. And uh, the offense at North wasn't necessarily conducive to throwing the ball a ton either. So he's he's got some time to figure it out. And even a guy who's super high profile like Zay Robinson, the stats won't jump off at the page or off the page because he was hurt for a large portion of the season last year. But there's a reason he's already got the offers. There's a reason all eyes are on him this fall. I'm very excited to see what he does. One of the most naturally gifted and bouncy athletes you will ever see, especially in the state of Iowa. I mean, his ability to throw down a dunk and be like an inch taller than me is nuts. I'm five nine. I think he's probably like six foot, five eleven, five eleven, six foot, but he'll be a legit slot receiver at the college level sooner rather than later. Now, to get to our lone question for today's podcast from Waterloo Chaz on our premium board at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Again, if you want to drop us questions, if you want to get the great intel from us that doesn't get out right away to everybody else, you'd head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe and join our premium board and get premium content from us. You can always also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and get a question to us there. Now, the question from Waterloo Chaz this week, this Sunday, is about possible next candidates for head coach in Iowa City. Now, this is something that Adam and I have talked about briefly, just on uh, you know off the cuff. But I want to make sure I get everything directly from that question from Waterloo Chaz. So I'm going to find that here quick and read it out. So um, he's, <laughs> he likes to explain his questions. So they're always come in paragraph form. Kirk Ferentz is 67 years old. I'm usually a supporter, supporter of KF. Some call me an apologist. Iowa will at some point need a new head coach. Could be in a year, could be in five years, probably within 10 years in his opinion. I don't think the U of I is likely to throw very huge cash at one football coach, so I don't think we'll hire Saban or Lincoln Riley or Dabo Sweeney. I don't know if Dabo Sweeney would have ever been in the running for an Iowa job, but who are some candidates you would consider? Whenever a commenter wants changes, I invite him or her to at least offer some names. So maybe could you too? Thanks. Now, for me, Adam, the one name that I think of right now, you're going to be more familiar with Iowa Connections than myself. I do expect there to be Iowa Connections one way or another to this job. They're not going to go out and hire. Uh, uh, who's Lincoln Riley's? Garrett Riley. He's the OC now at, at uh, Clemson. He's a hot name. He's going to be a next head football coach. But the one I think of is LeVar Woods off the top of my head. I mean, he is a, a ride or die Hawkeye. He's been phenomenal at his job. I don't think Phil Parker is going to want to be the, the, the head coach anytime soon. And if Brian Ference gets that job, Iowa City might go down in flames. So if I were to lean one way or another, I think it's LeVar Woods. I think he's head coach material. He wants to be a head coach one day. And his family's here. Um, not to mention they are recruiting Mason Woods, who's a 2025 prospect. Uh, he has an offer, a three-star athlete, would come in and play tight end. But I'm a huge fan of LeVar Woods. I think he's head coach material through and through. He wants to be one. He's a Hawkeye. 
and he'd be the first and obvious choice to me. Um, obviously, there are other Iowa connections out there. Adam, you and I, like I said, have talked about this briefly before, but one to three names that you think of off the top of your head. And this is not prompted by us. Once again, this is a question from Waterloo Chess. We're not looking to get Kirk replaced anytime soon. But the question prompted, Adam, who who are one to three names you think of off the top of your head? Well, I think obviously uh, LeVar Woods sort of has to start this conversation because like he said, uh, he seems very much more like head coach material than say uh, Phil Parker or Brian Ferentz does. Uh, Phil does just does not strike me as the sort of type who has that itch because if he did, he would have scratched it by now. Um, it's, it's not as if he's got anything left to prove as a coach, as a defensive coordinator. So I, I, I have to assume that he doesn't want to be a head coach. Okay. Um, I also have to assume, especially over, uh, you know, with his employment status being what it is officially and after 2020 and the results of that investigation, I have to assume Brian Ferentz is not a serious candidate and won't be uh, at the very least at Iowa. He might it might be a situation where, you know, if Toledo wants to hire him and things go great there, then like, you know. Okay, great. Like that would be more different information that sort of changes things. But we're we are several steps down a hypothetical at that point. I don't think that he is going to be on Beth Getz's short list. And let's also remember this is going to be Beth Getz's call as of two days from now. At least and at, at this every point. she is interim. But yes. 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 The <laughs> Two days from now, it's going to have to be on somebody's desk. That will, and at that point, it will be Beth Getz. Uh, there's some growing um, sense that you know she's going to be the permanent person that they didn't bring her in just to be uh, interim. But that is, we'll deal with that when we deal with that. Point is, it's going to be somebody's decision whose it isn't right now <laughs> because of the Gary Barta situation. So um, that also means that they are probably not going to, like you said, pick somebody with no Iowa ties. I, I don't think this is a situation where you want that sort of hard cultural reset. Even somebody like Beth gets, even after the 2020 investigation and all that, I still think that, based on ticket sales, based on just the way fans keep interacting with this program, that you want that continuity with the existing regime. So um, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, uh, like, if we have to go, one, I my guess is LeVar Woods is number one on that short list. Every AD's got a short list. If Iowa has to go to number two on that short list, something has gone wrong. And I, I don't think that will have gone wrong. That all said, um, I I do think that they would entertain the idea of a Brett Bielema, especially if there is 
contractual leeway between him and Illinois. Uh, I no disrespect to the University of Illinois, but I think Brett Bielema would agree that the University of Iowa is a better job than that. And so if Iowa can hire him away, if for whatever reason LeVar Woods is not, if the timing doesn't work out or whatever, I think the I think Iowa would gladly say, hey, hey, Beals, you got that tiger hawk on your leg. Uh, you want to... You want, you want to make a run of it? Um, I, I also think the window is really, really starting to close on this one. But if there's a situation where Iowa has to make that change in the next year or two, and, and that is how close the window is to closing, I don't think Bob Stoops' name has been permanently erased from that short list yet. It, if, if you really want that um, interim, like the, the stepping stone coach, like they, they would not be hiring him for a decade. Uh, but if it's a situation where somebody, whether the Woods family or, or somebody in the athletic department says, you know, this guy's like two, three years away, LeVar is like two or three years away from really being able to do this job well. Maybe you turn that into sort of a mentorship sort of role. You, you, you say, you know, LeVar is associate head coach, head coach and waiting, whatever you want to call him, like, like give him $2 million a year. There, it would not be, it would not require too much creativity to get a Stoops Woods sort of situation in place if you really wanted it. Mark Stoops is another guy who is going to be on that short list. And, and as I understand it, there's going to be some, um, like contractual side roads, shortcuts that he can take to Iowa, that he can take to like maybe one other school from Kentucky. Like it's understood that there's going to be mutual interest there. And as long as he does, you know, goes about that in sort of an ethical way, Kentucky's going to sort of um, see him through on that is my understanding at the very least. Um so I, I would say the, the four names that I would expect to be on the short list at this point are LeVar Woods, um, Bob Stoops, um, uh, Brett Bielema, yeah, <laughs> and, um, gosh, and, um, Mark Stoops, uh, Mark Stoops. Yes. Sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, Stoops, I already got to Stoops. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, the two Stoops brothers, <laughs> Bielema and and Woods and and I really do not expect that discussion to go past Lavar Woods. I really don't at this point. But it might be the case that somebody sees it differently. Oh, um, go ahead. My question here: Save all those names. They're they're on the list. Is Seth Wallace a name you you put in there? Is Seth Wallace? next dc because how long is phil parker going to stick around once ference is gone is phil parker done yeah that yeah that's that's sort of your sixty four thousand dollar question because phil is not getting any younger either um and you know it, it might it might be the case that he doesn't want to coach for a different coach uh it might be the case that you know if if kirk's guy is in there 
then then he wants to stick around. Maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. You know, like there's there's a whole lot of moving parts and, and dominoes yet to fall once that falls. And and that is I don't think even the the principal actors in this know how that's going to shake out themselves yet. So it's at this point we're just speculating on speculating on speculating. Right. Right. I guess my question here, Adam, is do you think Seth Wallace can make that jump to head coach or would you be more comfortable putting him as defensive coordinator? And, you know, maybe down the road, he is the LeVar Woods to Kirk Ferentz where Seth Wallace moves into that head coaching position after LeVar Woods is done in however many years. And are, are we thinking way too far ahead there? I think we are. But do you, do you feel comfortable having Seth Wallace make that jump? Should it come to that? Because I'd prefer him moving into that defensive coordinator position under LeVar Woods in an ideal scenario where you know that Ferentz and Parker are moving on. Yeah, I, I, I think that is a situation where you don't want to skip steps with people. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with the feedback that we've heard about Seth Wallace, uh, you know, because he, he really like dipped his toe into it coming from recruiting coordinating as opposed to like coming from an NFL career or something like that. So the, the fact that he has, um, you know, been, he's been given an opportunity to, to prove some legitimacy and, and by all accounts, he's made the most of that opportunity at a school like Iowa. Uh, that is, I, I think, people nationwide would agree it's sort of like a, a borderline top 20 college football program which is fine which like that's that's not a knock on anything they're doing uh any any coach would love to be at a school like Iowa especially one that takes care of its head coaches while with without demanding something completely unreasonable out of them um i do think you, if you're going to hire a head coach for a program like this at a program that likes to keep its head coaches, you're going to want to see a, a broader resume than what Seth Wallace has as of right now. How he goes about getting that resume broader, there are so many different avenues. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be the next coach. That doesn't mean I don't think he's ever going to be the coach at Iowa. There you go. That'll do it for this week's episode of Hotcast, a long and fun one with myself, Elliot Clough, recruiting analyst at GoIowaAwesome and Iowa.Rivals.com, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby. Go follow us on Twitter. I am at Elliot Clough, E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. Adam is Adam underscore Jacoby on Twitter. We appreciate you tuning into this episode. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you want to submit those questions, get all the intel that we have to provide you on iowa.rivals.com. Head over there, backslash subscribe, and you'll be able to join us. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening as well, so you don't miss an episode. And that'll do it for us this Sunday. Well, Monday, Sunday evening as we're recording. Uh, once again, my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Adam Jacoby for this episode of Hotcast. For now, we'll see you next time.